Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be dissecting all the action from both the URC and Premiership Finals. Plus, we'll be chatting with Australia's Andrew Callaway. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Father's Day, lads. How's it going for you? Tired. Out celebrating, weren't I? Saracens lost, mate. You, you said uh, you were desperate for Saracens to win. You wanted them to say fuck you to the world and the police. That, they were your words, Jim. I mean, what are you celebrating there? I don't know whether I said that, but... 100%. So I, know I did. I heard it. I, I, I went back and listened to it because Deeks had been speaking to me all week and the FaceTimes that I was getting Saturday evening when I was out on the Pushby South with Cookie kind of underlined the fact that they were an apper. Deeks is basically FaceTiming me with Freddie, with Wiggy, and Deeks ain't saying anything. He's just shadow boxing down the phone and calling me the C word. <laughs> rightly so. Yeah, rightly so. Rightly so. We'll get on to the Father's Day bit. I should say I went out and celebrated. I didn't realise, and you can say what you want, Goody. I know what you're going to say. Latch onto the champions, latch onto the winners. But hand on my heart, hand on my heart, I promise you that as the game was gathering momentum, I was out my seat jumping for Leicester. Lies. I promise. Ask Cookie. Well, hold on a minute. Your hand was on your heart last week when you said Saracens were going to win, mate. I got two hearts. I'm a big <laughs> lad. Well, it's funny you say that, James, because obviously we were messaging each other during the game. I said, Do you want, I messaged you, and it was the middle of the game, three minutes to four. So we'll call that half time, I think it was, when I was messaging you. I said, Oh, do you want Tigers to win yet? You laid it all out there. You said, Saracens are your number one, Leicester are your number two. You wanted to. See Saracens win so they could say, fuck the world and fuck the police. They were the words of Jim Hamilton, right? And you've messaged me back at half time when I've said, do you want Tigers to win yet? And you said, a little. You can't be saying I was jumping out my seat. I was desperate for Leicester to win. You're a turncoat, son. If you think about the way the game went, and we can get on to Father's Day in a minute. Nah, nah. The facts of life, mate. You put yourself out there and went Saracens... My team, my one bed flat in Luton, bigger than the studio. I'm desperate for Saracens to win, to say fuck you to the world. You can he now jump on the back of the champions because you're mates with Brett, even though Brett hates you now because you back Saracens. There's a lot happened over the last 24, 48 hours and there's been a lot of emotion and I'm hanging because I went out with Cookie to about half one, two o'clock in the morning and my justification to Beck on Father's Day, not feeling great, is that I went out to celebrate Leicester winning. So let me finish <laughs> why I'm justifying that. So obviously, Freddie comes on and we can get into the crux of the game. But I'd say I was crying at the end of the game. I was that happy and that emotional. I don't know why. It could be the thyroid removal. It could be it's been a long old season for everyone. To the point where I said to Ben, I've got to go out. I've got to go out and blow the cobwebs out. I ain't been out for a while. We're going away next week. It's Father's Day the next day. And my justification for that is that Leicester bloody did it. So I'm happy to take any abuse that comes my way. When Deke starts talking to me, if he ever does, well, look, he will do. He's a champion now, isn't he? So he's happy. The Father's Day wasn't ruined. It was absolutely amazing, as we know. But I'm a little bit more hoarse than my usual self because that's what celebration does to you. Andrew, you? At the farm? Are you at the zoo? As you know, I'm on holiday, Jim. So uh, I had a busy, busy few days. Friday, I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Premiership Hall of Fame down at Twickenham. Yeah, yeah, a couple of big names there, no biggie. But yeah. Mate, you've just said it like it's a nothing thing. 
Like, as in, it's a pretty big deal with the cameras there, with the big wigs there. Was well, I weren't there. Was Jono there? Was Deladio <laughs> there? I mean, surely it was it was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was big. Uh, do you know what? It's you, you look back on your career, and I look back on the Premiership finals that I played in. I lost a couple and won, beat Gloucester in one. You know, won the Premiership five times. But you look back at the scenes, and I look at what Freddie Burns is doing now on social media, and how much the boys are enjoying it. And you forget we've spoken about it on here, Jim, when we won the final against Gloucester. We didn't celebrate because we had the Champions Cup final the next weekend. You look back on things like that and Freddie's never going to get that again unless he obviously slots the winner <laughs> next year's final. Maybe I'm writing him off too soon. I'm not. What, what I'm saying is he is top of the world right now. And when you win the title, the whole team, the whole club are top of the world. And, you know, for me, looking back on things on Friday when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, it was incredibly moving, incredibly proud. You know, there were some clips going around of, of you know, my career and... I was a lot smaller back then. I can't work it out why, but um, I blame the ankle. Not much. Blame the ankle. How does it work? Do you get like a, a call from someone that says you're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Would you get an email or a letter or they just invite you to the ceremony? How does it work? I got a letter from the CEO of Premiership Rugby saying we'd like to induct you into the Hall of Fame. It would be a massive honour to have you at Twickenham for the event. And yeah, it was amazing. And you look back on your career, you know, 18-year professional career I played, you know, of those 18 years, I played 15 in the Premiership. You know, you forget what you've kind of done, really. And you don't really think that Jim talks about his greatness. <laughs> I probably go the other way and talk a little bit about, you know, I'm a, a little bit self-deprecating. But yeah, incredibly proud moment. The missus came and, you know, I think someone thought that it wasn't the missus, it was my daughter or something because of the age gap. And I'm like, no, she's the same age as me. But yeah, it was incredibly moving. And then you see the final on Saturday and, you know, as everyone knows on our podcast, I'm good mates with Freddie. Jim's good mates with Freddie. We've had him on here. I speak to him a lot. You see that happening. And emotionally, I was invested in the game. I was at Twickenham. You're working for Leicester now. You've been part of the season on match day, seeing the change in people and seeing what it means to those Tigers fans again. And then you see what it means to Freddie Burns. And we can get onto the depths of everything that Freddie's been through a bit later on, maybe. But it was just incredibly moving. So Friday night for me was incredibly moving and humbling and proud and all that stuff. And what could top it off better than my mate dropping the goal to win it on Saturday? So, um, yeah, hell of a weekend. And then I flew to Portugal with the missus and the kids on Sunday morning. And here we are, enjoying 32 degrees of heat. The, the forehead's red already and the kids are absolutely loving life. So uh, I can't be happier, to be honest. Andrew, are you hungover? Because you're getting very emotional. Like, are you... <laughs> what? What's happened? I mean, we're getting all soppy on here. It's like you said. You said it yourself, Jim. You said there were tears. There, were, there weren't tears for me. There was... Just an incredible sense of pride in the fact that I spent 10 years at Leicester. I see one of my good mates in rugby, a guy I speak to regularly. You can't emphasise how big that is. How many people have hit a clutch drop goal or a clutch penalty, scored a clutch try with the last play of the game effectively to win it for their team in any grand final? It's a dream, isn't it? Like That is a dream of guys who play in your position. Yeah, if you look back on history of all big finals, so... Obviously, you've got the Champions Cup finals, you've got top 14 final in France, you've got the Prem final, you've got the URC final, all these different finals. Yeah, the World Cup, Super Rugby. You could probably name on your hand five times where someone has hit a clutch kick like that to win the grand final. I'm, talk I'm not talking games. I'm, I'm not I did it in a semi-final. Not talking about that. I'm talking the grand final where everything, trophy or no trophy, is on the line. On that emotional side of it, and genuinely, that's as, as emotional as I've been watching a game of rugby, I think, ever. And I think you touched on a few things there, like watching you being inducted to the Hall of Fame on Friday, 
how good the Premiership's been this season. I was meant to be at the game, but for travel reasons, I couldn't get there. So like, I'm sat at my mate's gaff, right, watching a game of rugby and the emotion, especially towards the end of the game when Freddie comes on, like it's real, right? And that emotion is something that we've spoken about privately, Goody, we've touched upon probably in groups and maybe not said much about it on the podcast because we take the piss out of each other and the self-deprecating factors around that. Not many people get that opportunity. Now, we can talk about the opportunity Freddie got and we'll talk about it for days. It will talk about it forever. But the emotion to play in a final, not just to play in a final, whether or not it's 20 seconds, half an hour, 80 minutes, extra time, to play in a final but to win it. That feeling, right? Now, Dean Ryan said something to me as a Scotland coach and then he said it to the team. I said, Dean, you need to say this to the team. Dean Ryan, the most successful Scotland coach of any Six Nations generation. Not five nations, six nations. We finished third, as in a comfortable third, right? But he said, how hard are you willing to work for that 30 seconds of euphoria? And this comes down to watching my mate Deeks go through what he's gone through as a professional coach, how our authors has worked on this year, and all them emotions coming back in. And when I played for Saracens in the final, the one against Exeter, which we spoke about, well, but we couldn't find the clips. And I, I personally had an involvement in that game. Sacked a ball, winning turnover of the game, and we won that game. That euphoria, that 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it is, when that was happening, I thought back to what Dean Ryan said. And I thought to myself, this feeling, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, is something that most people don't experience, right? And probably will never happen again. It did a couple of times after, but I didn't play personally a part as much as I did in that game. How hard are you willing to work for that 30 seconds of euphoria? And so for me personally, watching that final, Andy Rose crying, and watching Freddie Burns' emotion and Leicester and everything that they've been through, it brought things back for me because I don't really go back Personally, I think about going forward, we take the piss out of each other. Yes, like I said, we've had private conversations about how good it is and a bit of nostalgia. But as I say, you've been inducted to the Hall of Fame on Friday, thinking about, obviously, us being mates doing this podcast, what you've done in the game. Obviously, being a final, I played for both clubs. Played in the final for Leicester in 2006 against Sale, the one that Wiggy played in as well, and lost. But it brought, personally, back emotions of actually how big a deal it is because... Winning the Premiership, right, it's a slog. And we've spoken about it before. The amount of games you've got to play, the Champions Cup involved, the Prem Cup, EDF, LV, whatever hell it was called then. And I know because I'm best mates with Deeks. I never speak to him. I know how hard he works. But you saw that vibration, the shaking from Freddie, that kind of euphoria that Dean Ryan said. And sorry, Dean, I don't think you're going to get that at Dragons, but you got it for Scotland. <laughs> I'm just saying, just bring it back down a few pegs. And that's trying to get it, convey it to the listeners and or people watching this it's almost impossible to explain what that feeling's like so you spoke about freddie being higher than high there ain't a word for it i was watching them scenes at the end and that that drop kick go over and i was like i am so fucking proud to be involved in this game and to be associated to someone like freddie burns because he embodies right what rugby should be and we talked at faz last week Polar opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of characters, right? And I know there was stuff in the paper, the headline that Ugo mentioned. The, the article actually wasn't the same as the headline, but about the drinking culture and these things. Rugby is the ultimate sport, the ultimate team sport. 
a sport for anyone, all walks of lives. And we'll talk about Freddie a little bit more. Look what he's had to go through being sacked off from Bath. Never forget what happened to him at Leicester. So he loved playing at Leicester. George Ford left Leicester initially to go to Bath to go and play for his old man. His old man gets up to a few shenanigans at Bath and then gets the boot from Bath. George Ford then wants to get back to Leicester. To get George Ford back to Leicester, Simon Cohen took Freddie Burns out for Nando's. Over a lemon and herb chicken at Nando's, he got sacked. Simon Cohen... Last week when I interviewed him, said that that wasn't the case, but he'll take it because it's Freddie Burns, but he said that it wasn't the case. Let's just say it happened. It was extra hot then. Was it an extra hot one? Is, yeah. that, is that the <laughs> semantics? It was extra. Anyway, so he's at a club he loves being told by the CEO that they want to get George Ford back, which means he may have to move on. Whether it's sacked, whether it's we need to move people on or you're not going to play much, a decision was made for him. He goes to Bath, which is his hometown club. Stuart Hooper doesn't treat him particularly well. And that's the start of it. Then he goes to Japan and then he comes back to Leicester. And let's not forget, he's a character. He had a year locked down in Japan in the middle of the COVID crisis. He's very close to his family, his brothers, his mum and dad. We see it all on social media. He loves to be a boy about town, having fun. You know, tried being locked up in Japan when you are Freddie Burns. Hard, mentally. Was successful over there. Not many people know this, but missed a drop goal for his team in the, in the last play of the game to get his team into the big dance comes back to Leicester he's frustrated this year at times and he's not saying it openly but obviously he wanted more game time but he like no one else he has worked hard bided his time and it was ironic 23 or 24 minutes in when George Ford goes off injured people are saying this is massive this is massive this is you know huge for Saracens a massive loss for Leicester oh no enter Freddie Burns he had big impacts on that game the pass across to Freddie Stewart you, you tweeted about it Jim Lovely seed. Stewart gets on the outside of Elliot Daly. That leads to the first try for Hanro Liebenberg. His kicking game was on point. Fuck it. Take him to Australia. England's best fly-off right now. Here we go, Freddie. <laughs> what did you guys make of the game overall as a spectacle? Started off poorly. I think we can all agree. And I say poorly from a spectacle point of view. Myself and Goody, without speaking for him, but because we understand the game, we knew that it was going to go like that. Kickers the balls, as I mentioned but again, we can maybe fast forward to Leicester's game plan and the fact that they just got it so right. You are not going to beat Saracens any other way. And it did open up a little bit in the second half, but a lot of kicking, more than we've ever seen in a final. And that was the only way that Leicester could play. Faz mentioned it. I tweeted about it before Faz mentioned it. They had nothing to hit. They just couldn't find a way in to the game, could they? They just couldn't find a way into the game. And at times... And Mark McCall said it before the game, and you could see it in the latter stages of the game, under the kicking game in which Saracens invented, effectively, the irony of Richard Wigglesworth starting in that and just completely outplaying Alan Davis. And we can get onto that as well. But Saracens look absolutely bollocks. Max Malins looked like he was treading water. He was given everything. But Leicester's game plan was just so right. A bit boring. But my goodness me, they just got it spot on. Yeah, they did. And, you know, some people, I've seen some people online compare it to last year's final, where obviously Quinns and Exeter went hammer and tongs at each other in a very different way. This was hammer and tongs tactically. It was a game of chess. It was who's going to blink first. The battle of the airways was the most important thing. And ironically, it was Leicester out Saracening Saracens, if that's the saying in how they did everything. Obviously, Wiggy selection, I did a piece for Rugby Pass, uh, and we said it on here last week, Nandolo should have been playing, in our opinion, for a point of difference. Um, uh, eat your slippers, Jim. Eat, eat your slippers, Goody. Steve Borthwick's got it absolutely spot on. 
It didn't surprise me. When I saw Wiggy Stein, it didn't surprise me because you, you think about it and what he's done. But he understands how to beat a Saracens team that he spent a decade at. I'm going to cut you off here specifically about one point because charge downs, again, I'm talking myself up here because we're a bit emotional and hungover. Charge downs was my speciality, right? As in that was something that was my point of difference. Goody's really? frowning. It was. Ask anyone, they'll tell you. How many did you get in your career? Three? But I tell you now, I got a good few. So I would go against the nines when they were training and basically try and charge them down. Wiggy, I could get nowhere near. Nowhere near. Mike Phillips, <laughs> I charge him down every single time. Wiggy, nowhere near. And if you look at the game and the box kicking, and I don't think Alan Davis is a great box kicker, uh, and I think that that's was the difference. Marrow on Wiggy, Nowhere near. He didn't see a lot of marrow at all, did you? I mean, Saracens must have emptied the tank completely against Quinns. Mm. And they said there was a lot of emotional energy that went into it. And obviously, you know, the physicality was huge. We talked about it on here last week. It was a war. They looked empty. Their tank was empty going into the game. Saracens made 17 turnovers, which is unheard of. You know, So it was Leicester pressurising Saracens. There's a few bits in the game where I actually thought Saracens would pull through and win. Once they held them out, on their line a couple of times, those driving malls and Leicester had so much pressure in that second half near there. Then Leicester looked like they'd emotionally emptied the tank and physically emptied the tank as well. And there's one thing I'll question on Saracens, and it was when Matt Scott got simbined. Five metre scrum, one back down. Your scrum was going pretty well. Farrell took an easy three points to level the game up with five minutes to go, whatever it was. A champion team, and I, I, this is where I thought Saracens were the champion team, and would have gone for the scrum and scored the try to win the game, which ultimately they didn't because they took the three points. And we'll fast forward what happened after that in, and, and talk about that in a second. But that's one thing where I think Saracens have looked back on it and gone, should we have had a penalty and gone for the scrum with the whole pitch to attack on where Matt Scott's in the bin? And off the back of that, it would have been pretty easy, I reckon, to score a try. I, I spoke to Freddie after he did his... Instagram live and just said look mate you've got to be careful because you're higher than high can be the only way is down so make sure we don't see a bollock or anything like that or just don't put anything and he said to me he, I says mate how are you feeling and I think he said to me he was playing out in his mind that Saracens didn't take them points and the scrum happened and they ended up scoring I was like well mate it didn't happen like you know you, <laughs> mate you're hung over you're down bring yourself back up just don't press live on Instagram live. But I mean, you're right. If if Freddie's saying that and he felt under pressure, yeah, I mean, that that's the point where you've got to question, haven't you? In a game where there's nothing in it. You know, it wasn't a spectacle in terms of free-flowing running rugby, but it was a, you know, I loved it because it was a tactical game of chess. Plenty of things to talk about. The red card, the yellow card, should it have been? Well, yeah, it should. I'm, I'm just so glad that Leicester won in the end. It's, it's absolutely brilliant for the game. And at the stadium... Everyone that was a neutral was supporting Leicester, which I thought was brilliant as well. Goody, you mentioned the cards before. What are your thoughts on those two? Oh, mate, Alan Davis's one is a red card all day long. How's Barnes not given that, Goody? Yeah, I messaged a referee, and I won't say who it was. I messaged a referee a couple of weeks ago and said, at knockout time, is there any emphasis to try and give more yellows than reds if it is you know, these sort of tackles? And, they were, and the ref messaged me back and said, no, there's no directive for that at all. But I don't know whether it's then a subconscious thing. The reason they're going about it now, and the Alan Davis one, the reason they're saying, similar to Billy Vonopola last week when he's hit Esther Hazen high, they're talking about who's winning the collision. They're saying that because it was Montoya running at Alan Davis, Montoya, I actually looked at it, and Montoya, his head jolted back. He was hit to the side, and then obviously regathered his momentum and went forward again. So what they were saying is, because 
Alan Davis didn't monster the contact and win it, you know, it's not as high degree of danger. But what I will say, twice now Alan Davis has done this, and I'm not going after him at all, but what I'm just spitting facts here. Saracens played Leicester early in the season at Stonex Stadium, and I put a clip out on social media when George Ford has got the ball as first receiver, Alan Davis has flown out the line and tackled him face first, head-on head collision, and I'm like, how's that not a red card? Fast forward to the final, exactly the same thing happens. We're talking about changing players' behaviours, and there's two examples there where the same player as by hook or by crook banged someone in the head, whether it was one head-on-head or two, the Montoya one, it's shoulder-to-head. It's a clear red card, but because they're saying it's a back against the forward, he's not necessarily won the collision, so the force isn't great. It's not a red card, it's just a yellow. Yeah, you're always going to get different opinions. I think it's a red card every day of the week. And if that is as well, then being fair, Matt Scott should be as well. There was probably a little bit less force in Matt Scott's one, but it's still the same principle, so it's a red card for me. And the one thing I'll say on it, you never see much emotion or questioning of things from Steve Borthwick. Look at the way Steve Borthwick was at the final whistle. There was no jumping around, screaming, shouting, hollering, hardly a smile. It was like a... He was crying. But he didn't want to cry, right? You see what happened when Alan Davis belts Montoya in the face with his shoulder and then it's a yellow card. He's shaking his head. He sees himself on screen. He's still shaking his head because he's he's like, I just don't get it. And people, I think people, I was, I was pretty vociferous on it on social media. I think people would have thought, do you know what? If Saracens win... Everyone will then be going, well, it should have been a red card and that could have been the difference maker. So that's why, you know, another reason why I'm glad that Leicester won so we didn't have that debate as well. Going back to Leicester and how they've performed this year, Jim, you've mentioned a few times that they've kind of overachieved. How do you see them now and what they have achieved this year? And is that going to be sustained and like looking forward to next season? What are your expectations around them? I can't work Leicester out. You're losing your captain, who's in his prime. To go to Bristol, who have been shocking this year. You're losing your fly half, who's played better than he's ever played. And yes, we know that we've got Andre Pollard. See how I said we <laughs> come into Leicester. I don't think he's the answer. I'll be honest. He's not in his prime. George Ford is. And there's talk of Borthwick taking the England job. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where Leicester go. I say they've overachieved because if you think of where they've come from and how new the coaches are, and you look at some of the players, they've blooded a load of young players. Ollie Chesham, who I thought was wicked at the weekend in the second row. 21 years of age. So good. Freddie Stewart, who now has become one of the best players in the world in his position. Chris Ashton comes in at 41, mid-season. <laughs> so you're looking at the profile of that team and losing your cornerstone. Coley's getting on. Obviously, Tom Young's with everything that's happened around that as well and him retiring. It, there's a change of guard at the club and I don't know what the succession plan is and how they grow on that. But there's no doubt about it that if there was any question marks, not that anyone has, about Borthwick, like he is one of the best coaches in the business. And you hear that from everyone. And it's a hard, hard environment to be in. But if you want to win, then that's what you've got to do. But I just don't know how you fill the void of a an Ellis Genge and a George Ford. Obviously, Freddie Burns is, has been amazing in the final, but you know George Ford has been amazing all year. So losing the Marnie, Nandolo as well. Yeah, they've made some good signings. Uh, but this is the thing. Uh, we were at the Hall of Fame on, on Friday night and Craig Doyle was hosting it. We did a Q&A. It was myself, Will Greenwood, Trevor Woodman and Tom Vondell. And Craig Doyle asked the question of, you know, is it a year too soon for Leicester? You know, the journey they're on, where they've come from. 
And everyone apart from myself said, yeah, I think it could be. It could be a year too soon for them. And I went, I don't think it is because you've got, like you said then, Jim, you've got Ellis Genge playing his last game at the club and has given everything to that club in his time there and some and has led the club ridiculously so well this year. You've got George Ford, who's in unbelievable form at club level, his last game. He gets to a final, it doesn't matter about it, it's year to it, it's do or die. And they they went and did it. And it'd be interesting, Andre Pollard's coming on a decent whack to Leicester next year. Freddie Burns has won you the final. So that gives you, in my opinion, a lot of credit in the bank. And Andre Pollard has got to come and tear up trees to get that shirt off Freddie Burns now because you look at the final and you, know, you talk about George Ford and he's had a massive impact on the club over the last couple of years. He, you know, he was instrumental in preventing the club from getting relegated a couple of years ago with his form where other players around him weren't performing necessarily. This year he's been brilliant, but you get to a final and he played 20-odd minutes, that was it. And at the time, it was 3-0 to Sarri when he goes off. Freddie Burns comes on and was da man. Goody, he'll be looking forward to getting a few of those players from the final back into his squad after today's shenanigans at Twickenham against the Barbars. Jeez, uh, where'd you start? Who takes 50 against a 14-man Barbarians team that have been on the smash all week? But you can't drink because it's bad for culture. What are you on about? <laughs> Listen, it's fair play to the Barbars. Tip the slipper. Sean Edwards. Do you reckon the RFU are regretting never offering Sean Edwards a contract? Obviously, there's a massive French influence on it. And it was just two very different teams in what seemed you know, absolutely poles apart. You've got a, a bunch of lads that have been chucked together. In fact, both teams would have been chucked together. But England more so would have done a hell of a lot more preparation on systems and everything like that. The other team, the Barbars, the French lads, whoever else was there, Crusoe, they have just been on a, having a ball all week in the Barbarians' way and have rocked up and, you know, Barwell Skelton's ridiculous red card, which we'll talk about, a phenomenal performance. Fun, laughter, smiles, everything rugby should be about. You go back to Freddie Burns, how good would Freddie Burns be in a Barbars jersey? That's what puts smiles back on faces. You hear some stuff that's said in the press, some virtue signaling and things like that around culture and drinking and... The bar bars have put a smile on everyone's face because of the way they play today in England. You know, I know there's a lot of players that are going to come back in from Leicester and, and Saracens and you know top of the range players in that as well. But Eddie Jones, as as much as his his comments after the game have said, you know, it was it's not the real England team. He'll be hurting because you conceding 50 points to a, a team that have been on the juice and having a you know a fair few wet nights, drinking happily and heavily around London. Questions are asked about Eddie out, hashtag, or not? I don't want to call any players out. I'm not going to call any players out, apart from Cruiser. I just watched <laughs> that back heel, and it's gone viral, Andrew, on your social media platform. And I don't know. I, I, I just think you're taking the piss there a bit. You, like, it's his old team. Like, it's his last ever thing to do. Should you have a bit of humility, or is it just like, fucking <laughs> back heel gets it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, obviously, I like stuff like that, but I just watched that, and I don't know whether because they had fifty points put on them, just a bit of a piss take. And obviously, Eddie after the game did an interview, and he's like, "Oh, it's about." He literally just said what you said about having a smile on your face. But then someone mentioned about you know the performance of some of the players, and he just like went went off on one. I was like, "Mate, you just said it's about having a smile on your face," and completely contradicted himself. But you can't take a Ravo's arm. Right against the barbarians <laughs> who've been on the pesh all week, you, you just you just can't. Now, yes, it was a scratch England team or whatever. You know, they took Collier off after twenty minutes, like as a tactical substitution. Like, what what's going on here? I've been involved both as a player 
and playing for the Barbarians. And they're a difficult team to play against, right? Especially when they've got decent players in them, like either Fijian, which they obviously had with Bottier, Vakatawa, even though he's French. But then you've got French players, Jouet, let's stereotype again. My goodness me, it was Jouet. And you've got one of the best players in the world, Damien Penno, who has probably had three nights out on the best instead of five or six <laughs> in the lead up to it. It almost becomes an impossible task, right? And then we mentioned the red card to Will Skelton. You think in 14 men, everyone's saying, even the, guy, even the people on commentary are talking about it as well. Mate, you've just had a Ravo's arm put on you at home before you get on the plane. I know most of them, not most, well, yeah, most of them ain't going to be playing in the test matches against Australia. But is it a good look that you've got George Cruz back ailing the ball over? After you've the Ravos arm on you. Like, it ain't. I loved it. Why not? It's Barbar's spirit of having a laugh. And you see a lot of players, you see this quite regularly, don't you? You get to the end of a career and yeah, it's the last kick of a game or whatever. And they say, yeah, I'll give it the prop or whoever's retiring. And he's just taking it to another level. So, you know, in the spirit of the Barbarians, you, know, you think about Sarevi doing some of the stuff that he used to do. And you think, because it's Cruzo and he made you train hard over Christmas and play over Christmas <laughs> when he was in Dubai. You ain't sure. I liked it. And I like the fact that it's had about 10,000 likes on my social media. It's viral. The thing that's annoying me about Crusoe at the minute is that I'm seeing these videos. I watched him win the league in Japan. And he's acting like in the middle like he's like the the judge. And he's there. He's trying to get people to sing. He's putting them down. He's lifting them up. And then he was doing something for the bar bars. I was like, Crusoe, you're one of the most unsociable guys known to mankind. <laughs> Maybe he's changed. Maybe he's changed. But yeah, my back is still absolutely fucked. So that's why... There's a bit of that negativity towards him. But hell of a career. You know, Eddie Jones mentioned it. And have we seen the last of George Cruz? Rhetorical question. I don't know. Well, that England side will need to come together quickly when they head down under to face a rejuvenated Wallabies group. Jim, you caught up with Australian wing Andrew Calloway, didn't you? Yes, I did. Top lad. Mate, appreciate you chatting to me all the way in Australia. First things first, I saw a video clip go viral of you getting skinned. Was it you getting skinned by James O'Connor? And was it my good mate Petrus Dupassi stood next to you? What's he doing anywhere near that? <laughs> yeah, 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 it was me. And it wasn't Petrus. No, it was our defence coach, Matty Taylor, uh, was standing behind us. There's a bit of a backstory there. Uh, I had um, previously done James on the rep before and we said, oh, we can't leave it there. So so Rab's got right a reply and, geez, boy, didn't he reply? And they had the camera on the old man getting the getting the knees working again. So, uh, yeah, look, a bit embarrassing, but it's good to see the old the old bull back at it. Did they get the video of the one before? They not video that one? Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. It was lost somewhere. <laughs> I'll tell you what as well. Tatsy, who was my defence coach for Scotland, is going to hate me for saying that he looks like Petrus Dupassi. Well, he has put on a bit though, isn't he? He's comfortable. He's gone home. I'll be passing that on. Don't you worry. I'll be passing that on. Oh, he's going to kill me. Tell me about the lay of the land of rugby in Australia. Now, only watching it from a superficial standpoint over here, it seemed like it went in a bit of a dip, really. It seemed across the board, both from a national standpoint and the club footy, as you lads call it. It seems like now there's a real resurgence and energy around not just the Wallabies, but the club game as well. Yeah, very much so. I think I... Um... Personally, got to watch watch that sort of all unfold from from a pretty cool space in that I was a part of it, you know, from 2014 to 2018, and then I went to England and sort of got to see it unfold from there. And then I came home, you know, was a part of it again, and then left to Japan again. So I've had a fairly unique view of it all, and and I think you're pretty spot on. We sort of had a little bit of a low patch. I know we 
the Waratahs winning Super Rugby in 2014 and then the World Cup final 2015, you know, we're really on a, on a great sort of path there. And for whatever reason, you know, there was sort of a bit of, bit of wind taken out of the sails of rugby in Australia and oh, such a well, well-known, uh, highly talked about fact that uh, sport in Australia is a really competitive market and, and we're up against things like the AFL and the NRL and um, the A-League who do a great job. And, you know, it's always going to be tough for us. And it's great to see, as you said, we're feeling a little bit of a, a resurgence, particularly on just the mood around rugby. I think more people are talking about it, you know, particularly with the World Cup now coming home, the men's and women's. Yeah, there just seems to be a really cool vibe about rugby in the air at the moment. Yeah, and how is my mate Petrus Dupasee doing? He was at Saracens with me, and I, I, I'm going to talk him up here. Weird bloke, weird bloke. That's not talking him up. I don't know if you've met his alter ego, but fantastic scrummager, and it's good to see him. Obviously, Dave Rennie, who was at Glasgow, Matt Taylor, Tatsy, who was my coach for Scotland. It seems like there's some good lads, which I think is important at the helm. Yeah, very much so. I think the consensus at the end of the campaign last year was that the coaching staff are world-class and, you know, that feedback was right across the group. So, yeah, look, Petrus, we haven't met the uh, the alter ego, but we've definitely heard about him. So maybe we'll be giving him a bit more of a prod to, to let that out and lighten the, lighten the mood up. Well, he says if you beat England, he said he's, he's going to bring out the alter ego. I can't even say his name now. He's literally made me sign an NDA, <laughs> so I won't. What's Dave Rennie's approach been with the lads? There's an article that came out in the paper, not that you would have seen. I don't know if you're amateur on social media, but Hugo Monier's mentioned about the drinking culture. It was sensationalised around the lads having a beer and stuff like that. And then on the episode we did last week, we had John Dobson, the Stormers coach, who had a beer in hand. And you could see he loved the social aspect of it. Being mates with a few of the Australian lads, Drew Mitchell being one, I spent a bit of time with him in Hong Kong as well. Having a drink and a social aspect to it seems like a huge part of the DNA. Has Dave Rennie brought that in? Not that it was lost, but is that a big part of the Wallabies kind of outlook is the, the cultural and social aspect? Yeah, I think the cultural and social aspect, um, definitely. And that's not necessarily with a beer in your hand, although those things are important and and. Not only Dave, but but the leaders are quick to remind us, you know, this stuff comes and goes pretty quickly for, for most people. So, you know, it's important to enjoy it while it lasts. And and um, obviously the challenge is to, to not overdo that. But yeah, very much so. I think there's a there's a really cool atmosphere building around the group at the moment. I think Hoop said it tonight. It's the first time he's sort of been in a group where uh, at the beginning of, of camp, it doesn't feel like everybody's feeling each other out. And, and there's sort of a, a bit of, the, you know, the awkwardness when you first come into a group. It just doesn't feel that way at the moment. And, and whether that's because the group's largely um, been together before or, or for whatever reason, it actually doesn't matter. The fact that that's not there is a really, really cool sign for us. And what about you personally, mate? You spent some time at Northampton. I was at Leicester down the road for the majority of my career as a young lad. The only restaurant we say in Northampton's an all-you-can-eat Chinese. How different is that to Melbourne? Did you enjoy your time there is what I'm asking? Yeah, well, I actually came from I came from Sydney, so I was living in Coogee with with four of the other boys, about two hundred meters from the beach. So r- rolled from there straight into uh, into a quiet little village called Daventry, which would be uh, just out near Rugby. There, yeah, mate, it was a baptism of fire, like it was intense. Rolled straight into to what was well, what the UK media loosely termed a heat wave at about twenty eight degrees, which was interesting. And then, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the first two months probably of my time there were maybe a bit of a struggle I think yeah I was what 22 and I just left the team I grew up supporting and spent sort of five years at and thought I'd be out forever and yeah I mean I had some pretty pretty tough lessons to learn and they all seemed to be hitting me at once so yeah the first the first two months in England were tough but after that geez I love that place mate 
the group at Northampton and, and it's largely the same now. They haven't had too many changes. It was fantastic. And I mean, they went down to Leicester on last weekend, won it in the semi. But it's so cool for me to be able to see those guys who were mostly young academy guys at the time, you know, Furbank, Dingwall, Coles, Painter, all those guys who, you know, are now fully fledged members of the, of the first team and playing week in, week out. And yeah, I mean, I look back really, really fondly on my time at Northampton. And I think, as I said to yeah, you, I learned yeah, I learned some pretty hard lessons, some pretty interesting ones, and I was lucky I got to have a good time doing it. Yeah, I'm telling you now, that is a baptism of fire wherever you're from. Like, even if you come from down the road, like living in da- Daventry, you've come from <laughs> Australia and Sydney. I mean, I don't want to say it's a shithole. I'm from that area, but it is kind of a bit of a shithole compared to Sydney. So good on you. You know, as a young lad, it's not easy. You mentioned the media hysteria around the weather. One of the other hysterias in rugby is around Eddie Jones. What did you think? What did you make of the media around... You know, Eddie Jones, obviously, coming to be head of England, being an Australian. Is it the same in Australia as it is here when it comes to rugby? Or is it very different? Oh, look, it's different. I think it's it's bigger in the, in the UK, in England particularly. Um, that being said, when you see an Aussie take the reins of, you know, arguably your biggest competitor, so to speak. Yeah, it's quite a weird one. I think initially quite a lot of people were pretty pretty stoked to see an Aussie in charge of, of England. But then I suppose the... The realities of that come come back to it and all of a sudden they're going pretty well and it's like well hang on maybe maybe we should have had him back here and all that sort of stuff which is which is really funny but look yeah I don't, I don't know Eddie personally I haven't actually had anything to do with him but uh yeah look he's a Randwick bloke I'm a Randwick bloke so he must be a good fella. Japan tell me a little bit about that I'm by one of my good mates went down there the poor lad Freddie Burns during lockdown so we were having weekly video calls. We actually did a, a podcast series for the Rugby Pod, actually, when he was down there. And you talk about culture. You ended up in Daventry, which you could arguably say significantly tougher than Japan. How was that experience? We're seeing more lads go there, whether or not it's for the experience, the financial part, the fact that it is close to New Zealand and Australia and these places. So the lads are taking them experiences. Mate, Japan's awesome. Such a great country. The people are awesome. Food's awesome. The culture's aw- culture is awesome. Yeah, I mean, for me, it came at quite a weird time. We went through COVID in Australia and, and naturally lots of businesses were hit and rugby was was not was not immune to that. And yeah, I mean, you either forfeit your cash and, and some more than others and, and whatever. But, you know, I was really fortunate enough to come through in Japan that was guaranteed irrespective of COVID. So, you know, that was a decision I made and have to stand by. I mean, maybe at the end of, of my time there, I uh, would have done it differently, but the Japanese boys, the players, awesome, like fantastic. It was so fun coming in every day and just the different things that happen around the room. You know, we're trying to speak fractured Japanese to them and they're speaking back, you know, almost perfect English to us. But you still find it funny when they mess a word up and, and the boys get really embarrassed. But yeah, man, it's just awesome. They're, they're so great. You're talking about guys who come in, do gym in the morning, get in their suits, go to work for five or six hours and then come back and do two and a half hours of footy. And then they'll do another 45 minutes of extras after while it's snowing and, and freezing cold at night. Like these guys just do it because they love it. The team I was at, we struggled a bit. We had a tough time. Alex Good was our fly half, actually. You know, he was interesting to to watch throughout all that. He's a great fella, great. Um, I don't know if you've come across him. I'm sure you have. He's- I played with Goody, yeah. I played with him at Saracens for three years, yeah. he's. Uh, w- w- what did you make him of as a player? Because over here, he is looked upon, even so now, as one of the most gifted players who've ever played the game. Did he show you that in Japan or was he just steaming half the time? No, no, well, both. No, mate, he was incredible. I thought, you know, as I said, we didn't go very well. We, we struggled most weeks. I think we lost to Panasonic like 95 to three or something, like 
embarrassingly big scores. But you're watching this unassuming, unathletic-looking bloke just slicing through with nothing. You know, like our scrum was on roller skates, our line-out was on roller skates. Why was it so bad? Well, we talk, as I said, we, we had mostly, um, in fact, entirely Japanese workers, like our boys would work and play. Um, and a lot of the, the top teams aren't doing that. You know, a lot of their guys, their Japanese guys are uh, professionals now. So naturally that creates a big gap. So you've got the top teams who have a lot of professionals. Especially up front. Of course, of course, exactly. And things like the scrum, like if you've got guys doing that every day versus blokes who roll off their desk into, a, you know, two hours of scrum training, you know, no, matter, no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be a gap there. And but mate, Goody, I, was, uh, I actually messaged him the other day. I said, you, you're coming down under, you're coming down with the team. And he had a laugh and sort of swatted it away pretty quickly. But, mate, honestly, that's sort of where I see him. I'm sitting there going, how's this bloke not playing for England? Yeah, no, he's a top lad. And he's one of them players where it's become a bit of a travesty, really, that he hasn't accumulated 50 to 100 caps. He's that good when people talk about him in the media. Andrew, listening to your experiences, uh, it's amazing. As a young lad, you've obviously gone and done them things. Does anyone lean on you in the kind of Aussie setup and talk about their appetite to come over because there seems to be a bit of a shift right you look at London Irish there's a big Australian contingent there Dave Parecki old meatball I was at Saracens with him who's now in the <laughs> squad you know Will Skelton as well who's absolutely carving up at La Rochelle there seems to be an appetite now for players to even go further afield maybe not Northampton but to get yeah. to the premiership yeah. and is that is that received well in Australia within the coaches do they like the fact that because they've obviously got Gitto's law which they've changed slightly and they've manipulated that to get some of the players back who've been in Japan and obviously Will Skelton as well what's the appetite now for lads to come over and play yeah I can't I don't know if I can speak for coaches I think I reckon most of them would be different I think some would be pretty opposed to it and others not so I guess it depends on you know which players we're talking about but definitely amongst the boys I know just in Melbourne, just in Melbourne alone, I reckon, yeah, five or six blokes this year have, have sort of, you know, it's either come off the cuff or have genuinely approached me to ask about it. And it's a hard thing because for me, I had such a great experience. Like I love Northampton. I'd burn every bridge to go back to the place. Really? Yeah, it's hard to put into words. It came at such a, a unique time for me as a, as a human being. You know, I was in such a weird place and, and you know, lo and behold, this tiny little town in the in the Midlands, you know, I didn't think I'd find myself wanting to live there, but geez, I had a good time. And anyway, that's sort of by the by. But uh, mate, even Northampton, I got a couple of Aussies coming over. You know, you, you got Lucan, Rami, um, Scott Young. Those guys are all going over, and mate, it's so cool for me to see that happening. I think the only thing I think about with that is, for me, I didn't choose to leave Australia. Really, like I just, I didn't have another contract. So, you know, maybe that impacted how I perceived the whole thing. You know, like I was sort of, you know, kicked onto the plane and told to told to get out, kind of thing. You know, it wasn't a choice. So. Part of me sort of sits there and thinks, well, if you if you choose to go, is it the same thing? I don't know the answer to that, but I think what I do know is how yeah how big of an experience it was for me. And I said it heaps last year when when I got picked, and a lot of people asking questions. And I think you know I said something to the effect of you know I got a lot of people in Northampton to thank for being here, sort of thing. And you know maybe it's a bit dramatic, but it, it really is true. And I think that. Well, there's two parts of that. The first part we just spoke about in the sense of guys going, but the most important part I think is actually guys coming back. So you're saying hopefully by being here and doing what I'm doing and or what I'm trying to do, sorry, shows guys like, hey, you can actually come home and, and you know, I'm what 26. And I think if you talk about the the traditional pathway to being, being a Wallaby, it doesn't start at 26. So yeah, for me, that's the most important part, I think. And, and if I can do it, mate, there's blokes playing in Europe who are 10 times better than me. So yeah, if I can do it, why can't they kind of thing? And and hopefully it's a, yeah, just a little reminder that, you know, the door's not closed. And then add into that, you've got Quady coming back and playing and 
now Marika coming back from Japan and Samu as well. So, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, we talk about the value in going a lot. And there was, don't get me wrong, there's so much value for me. But the cool thing is actually coming home. And, and that's the yeah, that's the part I hope people talk about more than leaving. Yeah, absolutely. You love stories for days as well, you know, having these different experiences. And this podcast is going to come out after the final. And there's a great matchup between Owen Farrell and George Ford. And reading an article this morning around how much kind of, not stick that they get, but how under-respected they are, I suppose, in the public domain and from other teams as well. What was your perspective on some of the talented players in England? And when you look at the England team, and I know George Ford isn't in that mix, he, he might well be in it, but when you look at it and you look at players like Owen Farrell, what what do you think about when you look at the, some of the quality that England have got on offer? Yeah, I mean, the, the first one that comes to mind is, is young Marcus. I think I played, we played Harlequins 2000 and... 19, 2019, and he was sort of just coming through. And I don't know if you remember, but that year, Kobus Reinach was just taking intercept after intercept and just going to work. And uh, that bloke can run. And I remember Marcus just took him off a scrum and gassed him. And I'm looking at this kid going, if he can do that, he can do bloody anything. So, um, mate, to see him come along is really cool. Just on a personal note from from sort of where I got to, to, to sit and watch that happen. And then, I mean, you mentioned Farrell and Ford, I think, Farrell, I remember asking Goody about him uh, over in Japan. And the first thing he said is, mate, what a competitor. You can see that. I think you can see that really clearly. The bloke is doing everything he can can to win, which I have a lot of respect for, a lot of time for, because I think that sometimes that can be a really lonely thing when you're that competitive. And uh, look, I don't know. I've never met Owen, so I don't know anything about him. But yeah, he seems tough as nails. Yeah, I think it's the perception of reality. Isn't it? It's interesting that you asked that question. Everyone asked me that question. There's this kind mm. of enigma around him, you know, because you see him on TV, you see his face, he is that ultimate competitor. There ain't many of them like that in rugby. Mm. He doesn't do much on social media. I bet he don't have a TikTok account. Like, not that that's a thing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But that can be like a perceptual thing around around the media. Let's just have a look at these June tests then. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Awesome. Firstly, out of COVID now, there's going to be fans yeah. in the stadium and stuff like that. You lads are flying, doing really well. There is that kind of historic rivalry between England as well. Like how excited is everyone? It's obviously an obvious question, but just to kind of get everyone down here tuned into the games as well. Yeah, mate, it's awesome. I mean, we had France here last year, England this year. You're talking about big top-tier nations coming down under. And for us, that just helps rugby get to the the front of the newspaper or the back of the newspaper, I should say, which is important. And then outside of that, you're playing the best in the world all year. So we get to play, you know, the All Blacks every year and the Springboks every year and Argentina every year. And being able now to play, you know, you get, we're getting three tests. We get three cracks at England this time, not not one, which is what you'd usually get. So, uh, mate, the boys are pumped. It's going to be awesome. Suncorp, Perth. I don't know if you've seen anything coming out of Perth, but that's a hell of a stadium. I'm personally pumped to get over there, even if I'm not playing. Like, it'll be, uh, it'd even be cool to watch. So, and then Sydney, growing up in Sydney, being from there, it's somewhere I'd love to, to play more rugby. Moving down to Melbourne, you sort of only get to go up there once a year now. So, Mate, it's going to be awesome. The boys are so pumped about it. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. Uh, lastly, as well, I've been following Pocock, David Pocock, the, the great captain story online. I was, one minute I'm seeing him obviously play, played against him. Unbelievable athlete. Next thing he's cuddling kangaroos. And next thing he's got like an office. Is he center, senator of some state, is he now? Yeah, he's senator of the capital, Canberra. To tell you the truth, I know little to nothing about politics. Me too. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. But as I understand it, he's running as an independent. So we've got our, our two parties 
our major parties. And then you've obviously got independents who, who run outside of that. And, you know, he's put his hand up and gone, gone there. And in his first crack at it, he's, he's won the, won the seat. He's, yeah, he's on, he's in, in on the Senate. I'm not sure how you say it, but look, I know nothing, but from all accounts, the way the, the way the media is talking about it down here, it's obviously fairly impressive. So, but mate, Poey, again, I've only had very, very little to do with him, but like, he's another impressive bloke, just, Clearly, someone who, when he puts his mind to something, gets it done, and just another rugby, another rugby man getting it done outside of rugby. Exactly, one of those guys that could sell you a pencil. So I'll follow him, even though I'm not Australian. <laughs> but I would have loved to be uh, Andrew Kellaway. Yeah. That was absolutely class, mate. I'm sure the listeners listen to your backstory. Uh, it's really interesting that there's not always one way to the top and how it comes back around. So good luck. Say hello to my good mate Petrus Dupasi and Tatsy as well. And apologies for calling Tatsy Petrus Dupasi, but he has put on a little bit. Just he's comfortable. He's own. He's comfortable. <laughs> Uh, I'll pass that on. I'll make sure it's before selection just to uh, really spice up the anxiety around the group. That's class. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. No, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. Top lad. Top lad. Top lad. Should we have a look at the URC final then? What was the difference? What was the difference between the two sides? Well, it was a completely different setup because of the weather in Cape Town. It was raining. And I'm watching that game unfold. I'm watching that first half. And it ain't a classic. And I'm thinking, have we ruined it here for John... Dobson and his boys because they didn't rock up in that first half really the Stormers and the balls the physicality that they played with was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and if you read reports of historically the balls and I've not seen a huge amount of them I couldn't roll off a list of their players quickly I could more so the Stormers because I've commentated them more this season there's this part to it where you know similar to other teams we've spoken about when they get to the knockout stages, Clermont, that they struggle in big games. So I'm watching it unfold early on. I'm thinking the balls have got this. Scored an unbelievable early try from a line-out drive. Johan Grobler, the hooker. You talk about power. Have a look on YouTube and have a look at this finish as well where, where he puts Foster in, the offload that he put in there. So not only have they got the physicality, they've got the, the hands to offload. And I'm thinking this is night, night, no biscuit for the Stormers. Oh, I don't want to be harsh, but I'm thinking with the way that Manny Lebok is kicking. Misses the penalty early on, misses one of the conversion kicks as well, that if it comes down to a tight aspect in the game, they might struggle. But ironically, he gets the drop goal to put them out of touch, really, the, the back end of it. So second half, Stormers came into their own. Game opened up, bit of counter-attack. Uh, Andrew Brace was a tough game for him around the breakdown and stuff like that, but I thought he was excellent. But the game opened up a little bit and Ivan Ruzu was getting absolutely smashed in the first half, scored a wicked try as well, like a power play. It was what you'd expect in a South African final, right? It was a stereotypical South African game. Like, that's what we saw. Like, weren't pretty, bit of blood and guts, physicality, and the Stormers won that game by being the Stormers. And I say that, it sounds like a bit of a stupid thing to say when it opened up. So when they could get their hands free, when they could start offloading. 18-13, when it's all said and done, I know Leinster finished top of the URC. You know, Stormers were second. So in that sense, deserved to win. But fair play to the Bulls with the travel that they've had. The fact that John Dobson comes on our podcast last week and I asked him the question about Jake White and he just sort of straight batted it, didn't he? And said he didn't want to give Jake White any headlines to stick on the change room wall. And John Dobson was great. I had loads of comments. I actually had a comment in the pool today from a bloke. He came over. He lives in Botswana, Irish guy. I'm not going to name him, but I think he was called Paddy. And he said, oh, you know, I loved the podcast last week when Job... How good a bloke is John Dobson? I'm like, yeah, mate. He really... How lucky were we to get him on? 
And I've messaged him over the weekend and he said he hasn't slept since the final. He said to me that he's told his wife that there's a hotel debriefing. I'm shot brood. <laughs> <laughs> what a ledge. But yeah, I mean, delighted to have him on and obviously they go on to win it. You mentioned Andrew Brace. I thought he had a good game, Bracey. And I've become yeah, good friends did. with Bracey now. But Jake White certainly didn't agree, did he, Jim? No, he didn't, no. There was a whole lot of kicking in this final as well, in the URC final, uh, 87 kicks in total. Premiership final is 105. Just the kind of rugby you expect when it gets down to the big game. Yeah, I mean, finals rugby, three of the teams out of those four in the finals, so Saracens, Tigers and the Bulls, their game is based on oofing it, chasing it, being great in defence and being physical. Three very similar teams, how they, they're sort of set up. Uh, Storm was obviously, we, we chatted about last week, they, they love to play it a bit. But when you're playing against a team that does hoof the leather off it, you have to join in that a little bit so you're not just running it out from your own half all the time. And you, you temper it with a, you know, the conditions obviously played a huge part in that first half, especially out in Cape Town. But like Jim said, the Storm was when they put a bit of width on the ball, when they got their offloading game going. You know, it adds another dimension. And does it surprise me in finals time that teams go risk averse or is it that three of the four of the teams are playing to their huge strengths and you're certainly not going to see that many kicks from a Harlequins or you know a team that has a different ethos about how they play. But these are the four teams that got to the finals and you know they've done unbelievably well to get there. And then you get to a big dance and you, know, you do go a bit risk averse and, and weather conditions in that URC final played a huge part in it. I do need to say this around watching this final and watching the way that Bulls beat Leinster and the effect the South African teams have had on the URC, I worry now for the rest of the teams. And I suppose this was maybe the dream, but maybe the worry as well for the organisers in this. If you think about the URC right as a whole this season, the start of it when the teams come in, the way that the South African tests fell is that they couldn't play for the beginning part of it, right? For whatever reason, the travel, the COVID bubbles, for whatever reason. If these teams are fully loaded, and you think about Natal Sharks, they've got Ebenezer Beth coming back as well. They've got a wicked team on paper. They haven't really done much this year, and you can understand why. Obviously, a lot's happened. The Stormers and the Bulls have, have taken it by storm. All I'm saying is poor Dragons, Ospreys, <laughs> Cardiff, Scarlets, Glasgow... I know Edinburgh gave a decent show of themselves, but Zebra, Benetton. So you're thinking, how are these teams going to compete with that? Yeah, you said it then, Jim. The other caveat to it is this year, those teams, they had some tough times, the South African teams at the start of the season. And it's them also getting used to this Northern Hemisphere season. So, you know, in terms of how much they rest players at the start of it, I said it before on the podcast, they ain't used to playing any rugby before the end of January, are they, in terms of club rugby? because that's when historically Super Rugby started. This season coming, now we're at the end of the season, this next season coming, chuck in Heineken Champions Cup Rugby and they've got more travel, you know, December when they're coming off, a lot of these African players will be coming off the back of, you know, the Rugby Championship and everything like that, the, the winter tour, when they, they're used to, you know, having time off, they'll have to temper that as well. And maybe it works for them because they reach a crescendo at the end of a season, they don't play too much at the start. And it suited them this year because they didn't have the Champions Cup to deal with. But next year they will. So it might be that, you know, it's a fantastic beast in these South African teams coming after the URC. But they've got another layer to, to look at next year in terms of how they manage the workloads and, the, and the, the games around Europe and the travel with that as well, which may take away some of their energy reserves later in the season as it affects other teams. Let's take a look ahead to the summer tours now then. Scotland, Argentina, Jim. 
What are your thoughts heading down down south? Well, my worry is Chile first up. <laughs> Who knows? Can't work Scotland out at the minute. In the shadows of the other tours that are happening, from a Scotland perspective, this is massive, right? Because of, again, we're going over old ground, but we've got to, to look forward. Think about what happened in the Six Nations, how poorly we performed, everything that happened around Finn with Hoggy. They're not touring now. We need to try and gather some momentum from somewhere. No disrespect to Chile, as much as Gregor Townsend has taught them up. You know, it should be <laughs> a cricket score against them, in all honesty, whatever team we put out. So the Argentina games are the ones. And the Argentina have become a bit of a rivalry for Scotland. I remember in 2010, went down there, guilty. Fuck the self-deprecation. Scored a try out there, Mar de Plata, a pick and goo. And we beat an unbelievable Argentinian team down there. But there's history in previous World Cups. 2007, knocked us out in the quarterfinal. 2011, Contopomi was about 40 metres offside and Wayne Barnes <laughs> weren't bothered because he didn't like Scotland. But going forward to the World Cup, when you look at it, Uruguay in Scotland's pool, South Africa, Ireland, it looks like it's going to be tough. Why did I even put Uruguay in there to say it's going to be tough for Scotland? Because <laughs> they nearly beat Japan, that's why. I knew there was a reason why. But also, you need to beat them to make sure you qualify for the next World Cup as well. That's, that's the question for Scotland at the next World Cup, pal. Imagine finishing yeah. lower than Uruguay. Come on, Uruguay. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, Grant Gilchrist as captain. Been brilliant for Edinburgh. He was picked as captain of Vern Cotter. Has been trying to get back to a bit of form. He has done. It will be in the shadows to the other games that are being played. But I think the importance of these June tests for all the teams, but for Scotland as well, is for the reasons that I've just said, because there's a World Cup in a year's time after that. So, What do you think will be the result? I think we'll scrape past Chile. <laughs> Chile, Chile by 10. I've played in Chile, actually. That's where I shot on Harry Ellis in Chile uh, when I was English. So I don't really like to go back there. I reckon Scotland, Argentina are a team in transition. I reckon Scotland will win two out of the three against Argentina and scrape past Chile. Wales, South Africa, Wales are really up against it, aren't they? Yes. Why would you say that? Because <laughs> Jim's horrible to him. Jim, this is your time to say what you've said over the last four or five years of this podcast that you're just not sure about Wales. You know, they're going to struggle. Everything you've said for the last four or five years when they've proved you wrong, I think it could come to fruition this summer against South Africa, in South Africa. But South Africa are a team that Wales normally do all right against. Look at the World Cup. I, th I say... Do all right, I guess. Look at the World Cup semi-final. I keep harping back to that game where Wales limped into that game and they nearly won it. No Sean Edwards, no Warren Gatland. Half the players that were of that golden era are retired or injury-prone or injured. It's going to be a tough summer for Wales, isn't it? Talk about limping into a tour. Strugglestreet.com, 3-0 to South Africa, I think. I reckon so as well. How do you think Ireland's going to go down in New Zealand? It's hard to call, isn't it? It is hard. I can't see anything but a whitewash, and that's just historic, no? What? Ireland have beaten New Zealand. If Ireland win one game in New Zealand, that for me is huge. You're right. You're right. It's just the hope of where Ireland have got to. Obviously, they absolutely dispatched the All Blacks in November. They've never won in New Zealand, have they? They've taken a full squad. You look at the squads that are going out, and you, you, can, you can make cases for... You, know, you said it there about Scotland, they're resting Finn, they're resting Hoggy. You know, Wales are going there with probably their under-14s because they're, you know, they're in absolute struggle street. England are missing a few going to Australia. Ireland, full noise. Absolutely full noise going down to the All Blacks and facing you know everything that is so great about touring New Zealand. There's plenty of Irish out there as well, isn't there? 
in New Zealand. So that's the tour I cannot, well, there's two tours I cannot wait to watch. Mouthwatering, you know, is the word to describe it. There's obviously, all blacks are looking for retribution and, you know, we're just over a year out from a World Cup. So, you know, what better time to stamp your authority on one or the other team? The England-Australian series is going to be interesting, isn't it? Eddie Jones going home. Does that sound weird or not? As an English fan, Andrew. Can we leave him there? I reckon he might stay. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. I mean, last time we went there was the first year that he took over and we got a 3-0 whitewash of the Aussies in their own backyard. And Eddie was the best thing since sliced bread. There's a lot of pressure on Eddie now. You look at the last two Six Nations, we know he's safe going through to the World Cup. But imagine if we lost 3-0. I can't see it happening, but imagine if we lost 3-0. Australia are good. Yeah. They are a good team. Mate, they are very good. You look at what they've done in Super Rugby... Yeah, they've surprised a few of the Kiwi teams, some of the names. I like Paisami. Valentini at eight's a quality player. You know, there's a lot of threats there. You know, and if they can pull it all together, they've got Quay Cooper back, Corribetti, they've got Karevi's going back there. They've got the boys back and it's going to be tough for England. And like Andy Rowe said, look at the Saracens boys in the final. The tanks are empty. We're playing Australia in two weeks. You look at all the rugby that's been played. I think the last time we went to Australia, when we won 3-0, Australia were probably lower than the snake's belly in terms of where they could be in rugby terms. Now, they're sort of riding the Christopher Wade. There's a lot of hope there. They've got the World Cup in 2027. There's a lot of positive chat there around what the game is doing. They've even got the, the cojones to come out and say, we, we might walk away from super rugby as well. So they're backing themselves.com. And, you know, for England, it's going to be a tough three weeks. I hope England win. I'm going to say we're going to win it 2-1. Goody, what if a snake is swimming? What if it's a sea snake? We've still got a low belly, isn't he? Where's his belly? Yeah, but it ain't touching the floor, is it? So Still low, my friend. <laughs> Very true, actually. <laughs> what if it's flying? You ever seen a snake fly? Well, I saw one on YouTube that jumped off a cliff, so they tried to. <laughs> Again, Jim, that's jumping. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yes, let's. And we're going to start off in your country, Andy Rowe. Yes, we will. I'm sorry to say for you, you're a Blues fan. You didn't do it. <laughs> you lost the final. The Saders and Scotty Robertson's dancing, beating the Blues to win their 11th Super Rugby title. The Blues, some people's favourites, but not in the big dance. Not in the big dance. Commiserations to you, Andy Rowe. Massive shout out to everyone from Canterbury. The Crusaders dominated again. Yes, we did. Oh, look at you jumping on that now, saying you're from Christchurch or something like that. But Scotty Robertson's dancing. It's got a little bit worse, actually, and I blame you, Jim. I know he's getting older and his knees are creaking and he's giving it a go, but I just go back to that time when you went to the bar bars with Rugby Pass and you showed him a couple of moves and it's, it's gone downhill since then. He slipped. <laughs> so, and I agree with you. He, I mean, he's been through the wars, hasn't he? Playing at Perpignan. Was he at Perpignan? Was he in France or something like that? Some playing in the dark arts of the game in France. His knees must be absolutely bollocks. So, yeah, I, I would say the dancing is, isn't as good as it has been, but... Look, you know, there's ones in the archives that are unbelievable. Yeah, winners are winners. Can you imagine Borthers doing that? I was waiting to see Borthers come out with that on the on the pitch at the weekend. <laughs> Where else was good this weekend? Let's go over to France then. And two teams that perhaps people wouldn't have fancied at the start of the year are in the big dance next weekend. Cast beat Toulouse, and everyone expected Toulouse to win that. Joe Worsley and his defence sorted them out. A fantastic win. Local rivals, the big boys from Toulouse, got taken down by the little boys just down the road from Cast. So uh, a hell of an effort from them. Isn't it weird? You look at Cast in the Champions Cup and you think, we'll have them in our group, not a problem. <laughs> Top 14, they're a completely different animal. And fair play, they've got to a final. Montpellier as well, they beat Bordeaux. Friend of the show, Philippe Saint-André. Since he came on air, 
they've gone through the roof, haven't they? Apart from the 100 points they took at Leinster, which Jim was probably being horrible about. But they're in the final next weekend, Friday night, up at the Stade de France. Massive shout out to them. Well done, Philippe. Well done, Zach Mercer. From Super Rugby to French Rugby, let's go to URC Rugby now because Evan Ruse was the next-gen player of the season, fans player of the season, and players player of the season in the URC and scored a world either try in the final. So a hell of an effort from him. 16 carries, three defenders beaten, eight tackles, and a try in the final for the Stormers. And talking about the Stormers, John Dobson, what a legend of a coach. There's certain coaches you want to play for, Scott Robertson being one. John Dobson definitely would be another. So uh, a massive shout out to everyone involved in the Stormers and especially the big man, John Dobson. Maybe he'll go and get a hair transplant now. He he asked me about that as well. He was popping out of his shirt as well from (laughs) the dugout where he was sat. But I mean, look, it's been a comfortable few weeks, hasn't it, for him? So let him enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Where else we go? We'll go to the Barbars. We've had some big nights out on the Smash this week. Your culture's been great. You've been drinking. You've been making connections. You've been getting close, you've been enjoying rugby, and then you go and put on a show at Twickenham. An outstanding performance, culturally got it spot on. What can you say? Delighted for the Barbars boys, put a smile on everyone's faces. Even though I'm obviously an England fan, it was great to see. You can go out, have a few beers, enjoy each other's company, and then put a performance on like that at Twickenham. So, well done to George Cruz, hell of a career, hell of a conversion to finish with as well. Jim, did you have that in the locker? Definitely had it in the locker, but I wouldn't show shithousery like that against my <laughs> team that has given me so much. I just wouldn't have done that if that was against Scotland. They would have there allowed me to, but I just wouldn't have done it. There you go. Uh, but there's only one place we're going to the Goo this week, and collectively, obviously, it's going to go to Leicester Tigers. A few special mentions. Richard Wigglesworth has won his seventh Premiership title and the first player ever to win it with three different clubs. Uh, Steve Borthwick and Kevin Simfield and Brett Deacon Alad Walters as well, the coaching team, leading Leicester to their first title for nine years. Massive shout out to all of them. They've changed things massively this year at Leicester and they've got their just desserts at the end by winning the title. Do you think with that goody, Geordie Murphy honestly is watching that and is gutted? I feel for Geordie because he put a lot of that together. A lot of those players that he brought through gave experience, brought Walters in as well. But, you know, unfortunately for Geordie, you know, things weren't quite right. They looked at the club finances and everything and they weren't going to extend Geordie's contract. They took the decision and Steve Borthwick's led them with Kevin Sinfield and Brett and these guys. There's been changed at the club. You go around the houses, would he have been gutted? Well, no, I think he'd have been happy but also gutted. Mm. Mixed emotions. You can't not have mixed emotions when that was your job a year ago but you're also Leicester through and through. So he'd have been delighted for, for the club but also there'd have been some pangs of disappointment that he wasn't there leading the charge because he put so much into that club over a long period of time and you know they've got the success now which everyone wanted and deserved the fact that we saw Tom Young's lifting the trophy is another mention of the good the photo of him Ben and all their kids just absolutely moving and and actually the cheer around the stadium when they panned into Tom Young's when he was within the celebrations of the lads once the final whistle had gone it was just immensely moving and you know everyone associated with the club has, has has been through a lot with Tom and Ben and the family and what everyone's been through but you know Ben is unbelievably resilient to get out there and play Tom Young's is the ultimate ultimate leader that you'd want a wonderful man wonderful father and uh, you know just great to see him and Genji lift the trophy and, and giving him his final hurrah to be able to lift that for the boys that he's been through thick and thin with so that was great but where it's got to go this week Freddie the legend Burns. Get a statue of him up at Welford Road. I'm sure he's trying to make one himself somewhere. He was absolutely phenomenal. What he's been through 
it's such a moving story. I'm so proud to call him a mate. You know, he's been through thick and thin, but to see the emotion, the elation straight to his family in the stands, everything, it means everything to him. So for him to get that opportunity and slot it to win the game for Leicester Tigers in a final, when Owen Fowles trying to charge it down as well, with what he's been through, Freddie Burns, you absolute legend. You get the good this week. Absolutely. Here, here. The bad, few bits of bad news. We'll start off with the salary cap breakdown, lads. The bad news, if you're a hooker, you ain't getting enough cash, boys. Get better agents. Get to Esportif, Duncan Sandland, whoever it is. Hookers are the lowest paid players in the Premiership, according to the report. That's bad news for you, boys. So basically, become a second row or a back. You can't really move from a hooker to a second row, can you, Jim? No, you can't. They normally go to the back row or vice versa, don't they? Because they play similarly, but there's so many good back rows. It's like, right, you're going to be an hooker, put a bit of weight, you're going to go bowl, <laughs> and you're going to be called a hooker. Poor blokes. <laughs> bit of bad news for those boys this week. What else was bad? Communication. And you put this up, Jim. You spoke about this earlier. Communication from referees, the RFU, World Rugby. If these incidents that we've seen in recent weeks are now not red cards because something changed, we don't know about it. So why, why, why? What's gone on, Jim? You tell me. These people in suits at the top table, they need ripping off, basically. They need the sleeves ripping off, <laughs> they need the pocket ripping off, and they need a rejig. We could do that. I don't want to do it, but the likelihood is we're going to end up at that top table soon. But the bad this week has to go to our Australian friend and his team, Eddie Jones, England, against 14 men against the Barbars at Twickenham to take 50 uh, Ravos arm. You just can't do that, can you, Jim? It was an abject display. I know it was not England's first choice team. There was players missing from Leicester and a few injuries and Don Brandt pulled out and the Saracens boys didn't play. They'll get better in Australia, but that performance at Twickenham, bar Marcus Smith and a couple of others, was nowhere near up to scratch. So uh, the bad this week, unfortunately, goes to England. Here, here. And Eddie Jones. Just Eddie Jones. We'll give it Eddie. The ugly, couple of bits of ugly. We're going to start off with Big Willie, Little Willie Skelton's red card for the Barbars. Schickling didn't even have the ball and he has ploughed his shoulder square into the heed of Schickling. What was he thinking, Jim? He's your mate. He must be hungover. I don't know. I just, it was just lazy, wasn't it? Just a lazy tackle. And he was laughing, weren't he, when he did it? And he was kind of holding him up. Schickling didn't even have the... The ball, the poor fella. First ever Barbarian to get a red card. So yeah, that was pretty ugly from Will Skelton. But the ugly this week goes to one fan who has decided to send some racial abuse to Ellis Genge after the final. And one message he sent him, quite a nice note around what he'd done. And then the next message, it was absolutely the worst thing you could ever call someone. So um, there are some clowns on social media. That one guy, and fair play to Ellis Genge, he hasn't outed him. I'd have been straight outing the guy, but there we go. Ellis Genge, a real man of the people, but... The racial abuse, absolutely no place for it in rugby or anywhere in life. Thanks, Goody. And let's finish things off with a couple of shout-outs. We've got the Nags Charity Barbarians who are raising money for Cancer Research UK, a weekend of men's and women's games on the 24th and 25th of June. So you can check them out on Instagram to get involved. That's the Nags Charity Barbarians team. Uh, yeah, I mentioned it last week, but the Nomads, they absolutely dusted the Crocs over in... Christchurch this weekend, so massive shout out to them. But also a huge shout out to Derby Bucks Mixed Ability Team. Uh, they're just back home after a week in Cork playing in the Mixed Ability World Cup. Hell of a week out there, hell of a team. And also to Bolton Rugby Union Football Club, they're under 15s who have invited Briganti RFC from Sicily to be their guests in August. It's been a trip that's been years in the making, so enjoy that one, lads. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tristan, and thank you very much for listening. That's it. That is the last episode of the season, but don't worry. We've got some exclusive interviews and lots of other content planned over the summer, so keep an eye out on our social channels for that. And, of course, make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify.
Repeat spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.